Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast, your number one spot to get mentoring, guidance, and behind-the-scene learnings to help you understand what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale your packaged food or beverage business. On the show, you'll hear from food founders at various stages of growth, and you'll hear from me and my 14 years of packaged food and beverage experience. Each episode is packed with insights, inspiration, and learning to help you on your food business journey. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. jump into today's show, I want to thank our sponsor, the Food Brands That Sell program. Food Brands That Sell is a six-week deep dive into the CPG industry and teaches you how to win within that industry by creating a brand that you, retailers, and consumers love. Here's what a recent alumni had to say about the program. I am so grateful that I chose to do Food Brands That Sell. I learned so much about myself, my journey, and my company. These six weeks changed how I'm doing my business, and I can see the difference already. I no longer feel alone. If you aren't already on the waitlist, hop on over to foodbrandsthatsellwaitlist.com or grab the link below to make sure that you are first to know when the program is accepting new students. All right, let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Adam Malonis with me from Fast Food, which is a sports nutrition brand that has time-released energy for athletes. Adam's going to get way into this and explain this all and how this is revolutionizing what's happening in that industry right now and give us the jelly for. Uh, Adam, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the intro. Okay, Adam, tell us, what is fast food? I love the name, by the way. It makes so yeah. much sense. But what is at the core of what you are creating with fast food? Yeah, look, you know, I even started with the name. I think that's that's probably the, the first expectation, right? I'm a food guy, right? I'm a recovering chef at this point. But I believe my responsibility in this world is to make people do two things, which is think and feel. And the name had to be provocative. And that's the subject of a big fight with the trademark office that thankfully we, we won. But even the name in and of itself, I would say to people that fast is good, food is good, but typically in its uh, a, a typical utilization of the industry, it connotes the speed of service. But if it was about how it made you perform or feel, it should be called whatever slow food, sluggish food or whatever. And so for us, the, the provocation being food, that makes you go fast. Right. And also the expectation of being made from food, that was really the bar that was set both on performance and then makeup. And in getting into this space, I came at it in a probably a very unique way. I was new to this triathlon world. It's my kind of my COVID baby. And I was pretty disgusted. I came into this space. I've been a cyclist for about 20 years, but I came into this space and I was now trying to fuel 20 to 25 hour training weeks. And you can't do that in the traditional way. So I started getting gels and gummies and all sorts of things but turned out that my pantry is like the graveyard these days of hopes and dreams where it's all filled with all of these products who've got all the artificial ingredients and things that make you frankly feel pretty awful fuel that makes your blood sugar spike and then crash and i just said like i'm sure most people can they went back to the i went back to my team of scientists and chefs and i said 
I formed this team of really great people and said, selfishly, I don't want to fuel this stuff anymore. I want the highest performance fuel we can possibly create, which by the way, has to be made of all real food. And that was the original irritation of, of fast food about just north of three years ago. It makes so much sense when you're talking about it, right? As a high performance athlete, why are so many people like, okay, why is the industry been okay with putting additives mm. and not even, I can't even say food that is not doing your yep. body great ingredient that yes. is really not fueling for your peak performance when you are trying to be at a peak performance throughout it all. So it's like you landed on this no brainer, but obviously not a no brainer to just bring to life. Talk to me about what that looked like. You obviously were able to come to a team of food scientists and help them work with this, but there were obviously some, I'm going to say probably some big constraints considering no one had done this before. So talk to me about that. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the, the first thing that people would say would be there are natural fueling products that are in the market already. And I'd say, yeah, but they are first and foremost sold because they're natural. They're better for you, but performance is a dis- not even a distant second. It's the last, right? So thinking about it in this particular way, on the, the Chew side, which is one of my other companies, we've uh, got experience uh, creating about 4,500 consumer products across uh, 25 different categories over the last 10 years. So we've got somewhere the expertise and the, the technology and tools, et cetera, to tackle this in a very unique way. But I think, I think first and foremost, there was somewhere a, a feeling that this felt like one of those last categories to be disrupted, right? It felt like one of those last final frontiers where it was still like stuck in the dark ages and people were just somewhat accepting of the fact that if I'm going to fuel myself, then it's got to be artificial. And so we started asking questions and interviewing people and saying, hey, talk to me about like, what constitutes a good fuel? Like, how do you determine that? And frankly, I would say the overwhelming majority of people would come back and talk to us about the absence of negatives being the metric of success. If they didn't vomit or lose control of their bowels during a race or training session or whatever. And I, I said, I, I was meeting with the owner of a very influential apparel company yesterday and I said, Imagine if in your industry, it was the absence of negatives. It wasn't the quality of the apparel, but it was the fact if you weren't like ripped, you weren't ripped apart with chafing or whatever, then it's successful. And so I said, this is that the bar is so low. And so that's really, frankly, what kicked off our, our entire process of if we're going to build this from the ground up, how would we do it? We started to pick through some of those, maybe some of those preconceived notions, some idiotic sayings like, Science-based, those two words are somewhat intelligent words, but put them together, they don't actually mean anything. Like once upon a time, it saw some science, but then it went the other way. What are we talking about? And so we started saying, this has got to be first science fact, not science fiction. And so we started picking into that. And then we started looking at things like these misnomers that exist out there where people start talking about 0.8 to 1 is the magical uh, ratio, right? The fructose to glucose ratio. And so I said, says who? Like I said to the scientists, find me the literature, find me the papers, find me whatever there is to be found, find it for me. Because if it's true, let us not reinvent the wheel. But if it's not true, let us not presume it to be true. And so we call this particular notion uh, what we uh, deem here as a self-licking ice cream cone, right? This is the summary that we have got here, which is someone said it, then another person said it, 
Then another one said it, then another company said it, and another company said it. Now, all of a sudden, by the time it gets back to the first sayer, um, all of a sudden they say, see, everybody's saying. So I said, this is not this. We're not going to go on this. We're going to reinvent. And, and one of those big things that we needed to reinvent for is this roller coaster that everybody's on. You take the fuel, you spike, all of a sudden you crash. And on the crash, your perceived deficit goes up, your power numbers, your speed numbers, et cetera, go down. And I said, let's smooth out the middle. Tell, let, let's discover the carbohydrate that is the middle part. So glucose is the beginning to get it up quickly. Then we've got a carbohydrate that we've got a patent pending on the process to extract this carbohydrate called um, galactose. First, I think it sounds cool. Second, I think it's just an amazing carbohydrate that goes in through your liver and then basically gets meted out as and when your body needs it, hence flattening the curves. And then a little, little small amount of fructose at the end to elongate that, that fueling journey. And yeah, so we, we invented the, we created, sorry, the, the fueling curve to be one that we could then verify through CGMs and a lot of people that were consuming this product. Then we, of course, we made sure that it was, if we were going to flavor it with like mango and passion fruit, it shouldn't be surprising that we use mangoes and we have passion fruit to flavor the mango passion fruit. What? Oh my gosh, that sounds so out of the box. What are you yeah. talking about? You're crazy. Yeah, that sounds crazy, but it's true. Wow. So there was, this was not an easy feat. Like you guys started this, you said three years ago. How long from this aha moment to being able to commercialize something? <laughs> Good question. So they always say the children, I got three of those as well, but there's that short-term amnesia when you start a company and you forget that it takes you much longer and it costs you much more than you could ever predict. And that short-term amnesia keeps you going back. It took three times longer than we thought. So we thought it was stupidly, we thought we could get this done in a year, but only at about a year and a half. At a year and a half, we were then beginning to test with hundreds of uh, pros, Olympians, world champions, et cetera. And that's where the, the real co-creation and learning happened. But it took about, yeah, it took about three years to actually uh, begin commercialization because what I said was beyond anything, we need to stand for excellence in performance. And it goes to that saying, make sure that it's even dumb exercises. I think it took us a year just north of a year, actually, to figure out the perfect viscosity that would not require a compensating behavior of eat some gel and then need some water because of the pasty nature of this stuff that you've got to get it down. So I said, it needs to be able to be consumed without water. And there was a, a number of different things around the appropriate amount of sodium content to make sure that you didn't need to supplement with a Ziploc bag full of sodium tablets that melt all these sorts of things. So again, it took about a year and a half to get to something which was a very high fidelity prototype, which we could then begin co-creation with uh, some of the world's top athletes. And then about another year and a half after that, before we could then officially start to commercialize. You have very high quality standards. This is why you were so great as a chef. <laughs> yeah. I, I always talk about the, the, the very contradictory uh, point. I always say there's no such thing as perfection. I believe perfection is fleeting. But now I'm going to contradict myself because I believe that uh, good cooking, which is all we're doing, right, with food, is about small details down to perfection, right? So again, I don't believe in perfection, but excellence doesn't sound as good there. But it's about tinkering with those points. It's about making sure that we can you know, constantly improve to get to that point. Because again, at the end of the day, we are about creating food. We're about creating consumer experiences. And I will tell you, when you know my my particular, um, as I mentioned, the triathlete, and my particular distance is the Ironman distance. And at the end of an Ironman, frankly, your 
anything that's a slightly off in slaves are obviously performance is going to be magnified by the end of a you know, nine hour race. And so therefore we need to make sure that it's battle tested in the most extreme to make sure that it's even been appropriate there. So again, this is, it's a labor of love, but it's one that requires a lot of details. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many meticulous pieces here, but that's what's allowed you to change this industry and create something really incredible that does all of the pieces that you wanted it to do. Mm. Tastes great, actually fuel you, doesn't have you have a crash or supplement with anything else. Really truly fuel people the way that people need it. Okay, you have, like your company has built out like 4,000 different products. Like that's a lot. Did you know that you were going to create your own brand like this one day? Was that always the intention and just waiting for this perfect piece to come up? Or talk to me about yeah. that. Yes, yeah, so I was, was 10 years in imagining, right? It was, I always said that we were going to be the certain side of things, which was really a lot of people call it consulting. We call it partnerships because we partner with the biggest food and beverage companies in the world. But it was always supposed to be you know, service to products, right? And the service side of things, I would say is the fastest route to impact. And the fastest route to impact means you don't have to build a brand from zero dollars to a million dollars to $10 million, et cetera, to a slow build. You shortcut all of that. And now you can tap with very positive impact. You can tap into hundreds of millions of consumers on a daily basis or eventually billions. So from an impact standpoint, it was always service. But then I've always wanted to leverage. I'm a brand guy. I, I founded this company before, Chew, called called Unreal. It was or is a candy company, scaled that nationwide. Learned a lot of really you know great lessons along the way. But I love the branded side of things. I love the hustle of the brand. I love all of that. So I wanted very much to get back to get to that. But use our own end to end methodology, the own insight to execution methodology. But to create our own products, we are in that process right now of fast food is just merely the first example of that. But there, there is an ambition to do at least, it's going to sound a little delusional, but we're going to do at least uh, 10 of these. We've got a potential output per year of at least 10 of these a year. We're only going to bring to market one of those a year. We're going to either partner kind of JV or sell all of those different technologies or products or formulas or brands as really kind of a really as an incubator of, of food and beverage brands and or technology that we in many cases don't intend to bring to market ourselves, but we'll put in the hands of somebody else who can scale and make an impact. And all of these around this better food movement, like that is part of your ethos. No doubt. Yeah. It's, no artificial ingredients is, uh, is the rule of the house of everything we do. And then uh, all products that we create must meet or exceed five expectations. We say delicious, nutritious, sustainable, profitable, scalable. We say fail one, fail all. So every single one of our products are designed to make a demonstrable impact in the food and beverage world. I love that. That is like very powerful for you guys. And that's a great example for other businesses out there. And even the way that you're looking to bring these different products to market with potential babies, whatever that might look like, like you're open to, we know how to make great products. We know how to bring great products to market. You obviously love to create great brands, so let's go out and do this in the right ways, assuming that we still maintain all of these, which is really great. I'm curious, being someone who loves the brand side as well, what do you love about the brand? So I consider myself a brandophile, right? I think a lot of people misconstrue brands, right? I think that they 
They believe the brand is something that is mostly contrived. It's mostly the logo and the packaging and all of those things. But I see brand as a set of expectations that you've, that you've conveyed or you've communicated to the world. I think that each and everything you do, whether it's a launch, whether it's a communication piece, whether it's even down to how the team members interact with each other, I think either all of those are either, none of those are neutral. I'd say that mo- all of these sorts of things are either creative or diluted. Um, and this is why I obsess about the, frankly, in many cases, the dumbest things, but I always believe that it's either going to, again, be creative and it's going to add to your understanding of that brand, the multidimensionality, how it comes to life versus this kind of static one-dimensional view of a brand. And, you know, that, that those are the sorts of things I obsess over. I obsess over if you were to consume that product, as we are calling the industry naked, so without the packaging, without any kind of visual aids, prompts or whatever, if you closed your eyes and you put that product in your mouth, could you imagine that, let's say, let's stick to the, the kind of the, the theme here, but if you close your eyes and you eat one of those products, you're like, oh, like that tastes like it's from fast food. Right, it tastes like it's you know, the really natural flavors and the sweetness profile is so balanced and all of these sorts of things that I could imagine this is a fast food product. If it's only reminiscent of your brand when it's in the package, but then it's so generically of any brand in the world, then frankly, you've just it's a fairly hollow brand. So again, these are the sorts of things I obsess over. These notions of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Why do certain things with certain brands? So again, we could talk about this all day long, but I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about that. I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And when your brand is really strong, we can tell that the brand, when mm. it's the taste, when it's the shape, mm. when it's the color, the texture, the, all of these things, it mm. really is everything. And it's not just like the superficial, like you said, the logo, the colors, anything like that. Those are yeah. pieces, but it's really like how you're making people feel all the time over and over and that's over right. again. And that's the that's key right. piece, right? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, I, I feel like you have an interesting industry in the sense that you're an Ironman. So you're having this product. It's a very tight knit community. So obviously, you're with other people who are connected to the brand, would be potential users of the brand. Talk to me about what you guys do for marketing. What is your main way of getting the product <laughs> out there right now, getting these extreme athletes to know your brand, trust your brand, and how to be their go to fuel? for these extreme athletic endeavors? Good question. I would say we're still trying to figure that out. I would say that we've, we made a decision early on that we were going to treat 2023 as a, as really as a seeding testing year. So for us, what was ultimately important was to make sure that it was authentically seeded through extraordinary performances. So that's hence why we've been co-creating with literally hundreds of the world's top athletes across a multitude of sports. Because we needed to make sure that first and foremost, they loved it. They performed extraordinarily on the product. So we've been fueling a professional cycling team. We've, we've been testing a lot of prototype products. Even so beyond the, the first wave of products that we launched with, there are so many prototypes now in all corners of the globe uh, being tested uh, presently for their performance. So this year is really test and learn, is really seed amongst the, the, the best of the best in a lot of sports. And now even when we show up to different events, we've got different pros coming to us and saying, hey, like we're hearing a lot about fast food. People know that there's a decent amount of people who are winning uh, while consuming uh, fast food. So for us, that's a key part of the strategy because once um, people know that the, the, the top pros and the people that they aspire to their sorts of performances are utilizing this product, 
and they're pushing power, numbers, speed, et cetera, that they've never seen before, then that's the authentic way to see it. Now, we did a, a, a period of time, don't judge me for this one, but we tried a period of time where we tried what everyone else was doing, which was the buying digital ads and all these sorts of things. And candidly, it's a very crowded space. It's a very pay-to-play. It's a very purchasing customers effectively. We tried that. We, there's still certain things we're still A-B testing in that, in that realm, but it wasn't the most authentic way that we could fortify all of these different aspects and elements of the brand. So we've been working a lot with a really extraordinary content guy who's got such an incredible eye. And that's one of the routes we're going to begin going down now. We've done a lot of prototype testing of what is the, the kind of the concept of the shoot what are the colors? What are we emulating as far as strengths and resilience and fortitude and, and excellence and all of that? So content is going to be a, a really key pillar. Elite athletes are going to be a key pillar. Sampling, frankly, is going to be a key pillar. Because like a lot of people say, tasting is believing. We believe taste, yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the business. But feeling is believing. So when people are telling us they've never felt so fueled, when people are telling us the first thing to run out of power, is their legs, not their like overall energy system that they feel like they could keep on going. For us, those are, we need more of those things out there. But for us, that's key. And we're going to go into 2024. We've got some really blockbuster announcements that are going to come towards the end of this year that I think are going to really catch the attention of a lot of people across a multitude of sports and outside of sports. And then we're going to really leverage that versus the kind of pace of clicks type route that most people go to. It seems a lot more authentic for your brand too, right? Having that that evidence and in an industry where when you can like literally see your performance being different and like not having your body do all the wild things it does when you're having the gels and everything, you're like, dang, and my performance is really great. Like that is evidence that sells itself. And then people talk like it is a small community that people talk and that is a more authentic way, probably a more Plus efficient way for you as well yeah. in terms of having the right people, having the brand, winning with the brand, just performing really at their peak. Yeah. And look, you know, I think one of those other things in this industry as well that was always pretty, pretty strange was that everyone is of the opinion that you need to just get used to it. You've got to train your gut. I, honestly, I don't know. I didn't even know what those things mean to tell you the truth. It makes no sense to me as a chef and, and as a human that you should, you've got to go through this period of time where you're not feeling so good. You've got to eventually not listen to your gut eventually. And you've got to override your gut. You've eventually got to get to a place where you've tricked it. So for us, that's how we've been able to increase thresholds. The typical rule of thumb is that average, you should only be able to consume about 100 grams-ish on average per hour of carbohydrates. We've got some of our pros easily consuming between 140 and 150 grams an hour. Even me, I'm just an amateur and I'm, what am I, between 125 and 135 grams an hour. Didn't require training. Just frankly, the limiting factor is how much you're willing to either chew or swallow. It's typically, it just feels like it's a buffet on wheels. But again, there's a direct correlation to how many, what is your consumption of carbohydrates in order to fuel the output that you're looking for over a sustained period of time. I'm excited to put the in towards the end of the year for sure you'll have to keep me posted on though um what are some of the big obstacles that you guys are facing right now obviously you mentioned trying to figure out this marketing piece but yeah what are you guys tackling right now we went we didn't make anything easy for ourselves we didn't go out and get off the shop ingredients and try to make a better tasting 
uh, product that would have been probably the smart route. So we actually went as far as, I think, as I mentioned before, we've got a patent pending on one key component of our formulation, which is that galactose. So we went the absurd route and we said, like, things weren't complicated enough. So therefore, we're going to complicate it a little more and we're going to actually be the producer of our own proprietary ingredient and then put that ingredient into our products. So um, that is a major complication. Frankly, it's a major expense because we've got to produce uh, a very large amounts of, uh, of this particular ingredient. But we believe it's so powerful that the complication is worthwhile. So I'd say that we're still navigating, let's say, the logistical challenges of moving that around all over the country and things like that. So I'd say that's, that's most definitely challenging. I think always the challenge, right? Always the challenge is making sure that you're always going to resonate with the largest group of consumers and get in front of them and become their the support for them to do those things that they want to do, but showing up authentically. So there's the, really the tension between let's be authentic and then let's try to find the largest um, group of people. So sometimes those things are in conflict with each other. So making sure that in our obsession to make sure we're always trying to make the right steps, showing up authentically being everything to a certain uh, group of people, those typical challenges. But like those ones are not unique to us. Those are what everybody uh, typically goes through. And I'm curious about the patent process. Like how long has that been for you? I know that's something food founders talk about, oh, it's so difficult to patent anything in food. Like so many times lawyers are just like, don't even bother. But you obviously have this unique technology with this. So if someone is like, hey, I have this unique technology with this as well, and it's truly unique, what are they looking at in terms of time frame? Are we talking a couple months, a couple of years? What's the real yeah, I think we're, for people? Good question. So I think we're I think we're at a couple of years so far. We're not going to quantify the amount of money or actual labor because I think I would start crying on camera. But yeah, look, it's it's time consuming. I think we... We see this as such a fundamental to, to, to what we're doing. Uh, no one was currently doing it. So we jumped on board that thing. We have, I mentioned uh, prototypes before. One of those prototypes, for example, just to really test the theory, we ended up for our cycling team said, hey, like we want a bar, right? We want a bar we can eat before the bike, after the bike or in the feed zones. And so we ended up, we ended up creating uh, two different flavors of bars. But the challenge that I gave to the team was, can we match exactly the carbohydrate profile of everything else? So... 50% glucose, 40% galactose, 10% fructose. And lo and behold, after quite a period of time of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, none of which in the product, but we eventually created these uh, bars, which frankly are first and foremost, they're delicious. Second, they hit exactly the same carbohydrate profile. And they're, they're pretty wonderful. There's this combination between, they're obviously they're sweet, but there's this little bit of salty. One is um, chocolate orange, and the other one is uh, strawberry banana. And yeah, those are really great. And one of those key ingredients there, again, is the particular ingredient that we went to the lengths of uh, producing. So the, in the bar space, it would also lend itself to a very different market, as well as our, obviously our core market of endurance sports, but very different market being they're great for hiking, camping, all those sorts of things, right? So it's a really a carbohydrate-driven, stable energy bar. I love these parameters that you continuously put on the team. I think that's how you get to real excellence, right? We need parameters and we need to be really clear with that to be able to get to a very different like success point. Um, and that, uh, has that always been part of your ethos? Is that something that you've learned along the way? 
Yeah. Is that just Adam? Yeah. Listen, it's, I, I, it's most definitely me, but it's, <laughs> I, I would say there's uh, elements of this. I think there are extremes. I, I would say I'd probably fall on the extreme end of the spectrum, but I would say it's a necessity. It's a necessary tool as a chef. These details is, I would say there's two schools of chefs. There are the ones who believe science has no role in the kitchen. Those are the ones who live in a, a, a world of delusion. Just because they don't do fine, it doesn't mean it's there, right? If you talk about beer making, bread making, the, the, the role of yeast and all of those things, that's science is happening. They're just not able to quantify, realize it or replicate it. For those that really truly embrace science, I've had scientists in my kitchen ever since I was 19 years old. I was, I was at a restaurant in London when I was 19 years old, a chef partner and I needed scientists, not because it was cool, but because I just, I really definitely needed them. And yeah, it's always been about the details. If you look at it, I used to have these, my type of cuisine, I was doing 32 course tasting menus. And the problem is it took about 50 chefs to cook these 32 courses for 50 guests. And I didn't want, what I was adamant about is I'm a storyteller. Right? That's not obvious, but um, I'm a storyteller. And in, in the restaurant world, my medium uh, to tell those stories was food. And the problem is if you go to these restaurants and uh, let's say in this restaurant, I left anything up to interpretation. You would taste 32 courses interpreted through the minds and the hands and, the, and the, the experience of 50 chefs, nurses, the singular mind of a chef who's really trying to tell a story, who goes to the lengths with my team to define every last characteristic, every last measure. I would say that my kitchens uh, were typically a symphony of timers, right? You would hear timers going off because everything was precise to the second, to the millimeter, to the point one of a degree. And it was that way for a very specific reason to make sure it was exactly the same every single time. That excellence really comes through and it. it's so key in the chef world and so key with everything that you're doing right now, hence where you guys have been able to pump out 4,000 products with what you're doing on one side and then also be able to create this innovative product that tastes great. It seems like a no-brainer, but there's clearly a massive gap in the market with what you're doing with that. So one last question, I think. Do you miss the chef world in terms of being being a chef and all of that, the symphony, the storytelling, the you know bringing this food and really getting to see people's reaction all the time versus now in this world where you're creating brands and it mm. is a, you're starting to play with food, but in a very different way. Do you miss that at all? Such a great question. I will tell you that I, a large part of me misses the restaurant world. I would say every, used to be every minute of every day. I would tell you that it's probably resting at about five times every day. I, I, I would say that it's, it's always a part of, it's a very strong part of your identity. And particularly in that beginning stage of my uh, career, it was something that I was, you, you imagine you go from something ever since I was uh, 15 years old, I was first one in, last one out ever since I was 15 years old. I was typically arriving by seven, seven in the morning and I was typically leaving by one o'clock in the morning. And that was mostly for the bulk of my career. That was seven days a week. It was, I just loved, obsessed, went deep on this world. I loved the whole experience. I love, I, I always explain to people and sorry, it's such a long answer, but I always explain to people that when I found cooking and, and restaurants, I felt like it was my own kind of private pirate ship. That it was what happened in there was so magical. It was fierce. It was fast. 
it was a lot of people in a small environment and it was about like these small touches and everyone was just moving around each other and there's fire and there's knives and there's and and when you get to be the chef de cuisine so the the the, the head of that you you're, you're the captain of a pirate ship and I, I will tell you there's something just so wonderful about that and there's there's maybe something controlling I, I need to probably talk to somebody about one day but honestly I could stand in any one of my kitchens. I could close my eyes and I could tell you exactly what everybody was doing. I could tell you from my, my ears, I could hear how the knife was striking a board. I could tell you what they were doing. I could tell you if they were doing it right or wrong. I could tell you if the, the barista was burning the milk, I would scream across the room because I could hear the milk making a certain noise that told me that it was, that it was burning. And it's just something, honestly, there's something about that. For a guy who loves detail, there's just something so wonderful about this symphony that happens every single day behind those closed doors. There's something so magical about that. And all you're doing every day is you're setting yourself up. And then the next day, you set yourself up to do the same thing again. And it's always, <laughs> and obviously, dishes are evolving and seasons are evolving. And it's about the ingredients. And what a wonderful life. You get to taste everything. It's just, it's amazing. That was a chapter of my life. Frankly, I don't necessarily live in regret of the previous chapter because I think I did that chapter of my life so well. This chapter is something different when I get the privilege to build a company or a series of companies now that facilitate an environment for people, chefs and scientists and all other sorts of divisions to do their best work where we can make the largest possible impact in the world. That's, I, I see that as really this chapter of my life. So I love it. I miss it. I'm... I crave it a lot of the time, but I don't regret that I've chosen this uh, route where I can scale a lot more of that impact to a lot more people. I love that. But you're definitely making fantastic impact with what you are doing. And fast food is one of many great products coming from you guys. And I know that anything coming from you is just of the highest quality standard. And I think anyone listening to this or has met you in any part of your life knows that highest quality standard is there too. Thank if people you. want to get their hands on some fast food, the good kind that's actually going to fuel them, where can they get some fast food? Yeah, so we're at uh, lovefastfood.com is the website. We're also in, I think, early September, we've got this pretty uh, robust plan to then hit uh, a lot of retail doors in very specialty. So discovery first before mass uh, uh, retailers. Um, so that blitz is going to start really in September, October lovefastfood.com let's hope is the first port of call because there's a lot of storytelling and how to fuel and, and all those sorts of things on there as well that they can learn a little more about as well awesome alright guys go check out lovefastfood.com when you check out the packaging you're going to be blown away it is beautiful of course wouldn't expect anything less and of course the taste is fully there and it's going to help you get to your peak performance so Adam thank you so much for sharing your journey and for bringing all this great food to the world Thanks for having me. That's it for this week, food friend. Thanks for tuning in. If the show helped you in any way, please go ahead and leave a rating or review of the show below. I also want to thank our sponsor one more time, the Food Brands That Sell program, the program to transform how you navigate the CPG industry and ultimately sets you up for success within it. Go ahead and get yourself on the waitlist using the link below, or you can put yourself on the waitlist at foodbrands.sellwaitlist.com. Catch you next time, food friend.